What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. And this week, we are going to talk about reviews. Namely, bad reviews. Namely, my bad reviews. And the point of this episode is to show you that everybody gets bad reviews. And you just have to weather them. And so what I thought I would do is read to you verbatim a review of the first play I had produced, a review of Big Wave Dave's TV series that David Isaacs and I created for CBS, and a review of the movie Volunteers that David Isaacs and I wrote back in the mid-'80s. Again, I'm going to read these verbatim, And I'm not going to spend too much time defending, but um, bad reviews are part of the deal if you want to get into show business. And so today, here's my dirty laundry. (laughs) These are my bad reviews. This week on Hollywood and Levine. Okay, this is a review for my play A or B, and it played back in 2014 at the Falcon Theater, now the Gary Marshall Theater. It was owned by Gary Marshall, and it was a great venue, 124 seats. It's a beautiful theater, and I got like 10 really good reviews, including one from the Los Angeles Times, but then came this one from a website called Stage and Cinema. It was written by Tony Frankel. It was released on October 30th, 2014. And I will read this to you verbatim. The title, Sliding Boars. A or B, 
The question of Ken Levine's title refers to the choice between two parallel universes set forth in his two-act, two-hour, two-hander, played out simultaneously with flip-flopping scenes that last anywhere from 30 seconds to a few minutes or longer. This seriously regrettable, dumbed-down rom-com concerns a comely woman who interviews with a corporate jock for a marketing job. One set of scenes leads the couple to a relationship, the other set to business. Along with every element of this eternal evening, both parallel universes go bad. Actually, they go nowhere. Together, however, the swiftly switching and often confusing vignettes, which could be scenes if they grow up one day, will lead you to one of the most atrocious events ever seen on an L.A. stage. My personal parallel experience at the Falcon Theater last night was watching this travesty while concurrently watching my life flash before my eyes. Almost a freeze frame of the worst 1970s sitcoms, I actually believed for a few minutes that the show was intentionally awful. Levine's insulting, downright misogynistic script in what you might expect from one who made a living writing for TV, parentheses, MASH, Jefferson's, etc., the inner monologues spoken outwardly, the repetitive setups leading to unfunny punchlines, does Raggedy Ann have cloth tits, and referring to a dead cat, the old puss got the boot. The phone conversations as exposition, chatting with people that we can't see just off camera as it were, and the dialogue chock-a-block with modern references for easy laughs, Ashley Judd, Sarah Palin, Tim Allen, Skype, and Snickers got nary a chuckle, but penis... Hardly a modern reference got one of the biggest laughs of the night, even before the actual punchline arrived. The major laugh of the night came when Jason Desher started choking on the water in his beer bottle and improvised, that's strong stuff. Speaking of Jason Desher, how is what I saw possible? Had I not seen this wonderful talent and his co-star Jules Wilcox time and again in A Noise Within at the Antius Theater, I would have thought that those two just got off the thespian turnip truck. It's the kind of acting one might have observed in a strip mall community theater during the years that 1960s Neil Simon plays were giving way to 22-minute laugh track junk TV. The same TV referred to in Annie Hall when Diane Keaton says it's so clean out here in L.A. and Woody Allen replies that's because they don't throw their garbage away, they turn it into television shows. Hoping that the presentational style of acting would wear off as the play continued, but that would have been a directorial choice, and there was none of that, none, all caps. We were imprisoned listening to lines delivered at sitcom speed where you have to fit a large amount of dialogue between commercials. 
the forced, silly, eye-rolling, insincere, inauthentic, and mechanical posturing was right out of the Bonnie Franklin one-day-at-a-time school of acting. Even the taped voiceovers sounded like they were selling a product on 50s TV. No help whatsoever was Andrew Barnacle's direction ensuring that there was no sense of space or time or subtextural undertow and no veracity. And instead of guiding his actors so their quick change realities could be achieved with voice work and body posturing, he has poor Miss Wilcox run on and off stage to change from red to a blue dress. And in the second act, the dress was abandoned for red and blue light changes by Jeremy Pivnik, who seemed like he was designing for those two-ton dinner boards seen backstage at a high school circa 1972. The cardboard characters are matched by Bruce Goodrich's ugly cardboard set, wholly lacking in detail except for the silhouette of a city skyline painted on a wrinkled Muslim backdrop. And props to John McElvaney's props. It was amusing to watch actors clink thin plastic glasses in an upscale Manhattan bar. The better question than A or B are how and why. This would be a good time to go on a tirade, but I won't, against Gary Marshall and his daughter Kathleen for producing and encouraging middling theater, much of it involving film and TV folk who can't write for the stage. At least in the past, they had one good element that worked, e.g. acting or design, but the full-throttle amateur night in Dixie here is shameful, and frankly, Anyone who read this script and okayed it is not to be forgiven. May I also give a shout-out to the new class of so-called reviewers who are pushing the pillow down on the face of the already dying critic by lauding crap like this, see an amalgamation of reviews on bitter lemons. It's alarming that any sycophant or nitwit can get free tickets for their unjustified praise. Honestly, folks, has the science fiction of Invasion of the Body Snatchers come true? Because I feel as if telling the world about delusional L.A. theater will result in aliens pointing me out and then eating my brains as if computers weren't already doing that. And I am out of here. Ouch! <laughs> I don't think he liked it very much. Wow. So when I saw that review, I mean, I just laughed at how absurd it was. And I called my director, though, because my concern was for the actors. You know, are the actors going to read that in Freak? And he said, you know what, he read it too. You know, it's just bullshit. And he said... You know, it's good for the actors to read this. And I said, why? <laughs> and he said, because they're going to get reviews like this. And they're just going to have to develop tough skin and learn to deal with it. Because reviews like this are going to happen. And sure enough, that night at the theater, when I saw the actors, and I mentioned, uh, did you happen to see this review? 
And both of them, they're pros. They said, yeah, it's just so over the top. It was just so ridiculous that no one was able to take it seriously. And, of course, it also helped that it got a glowing review in the Los Angeles Times, which is uh, a little bit more prestigious than uh, this website. Um, What is it again? Stage and Cinema. So there's one example of a bad review. But wait, I have more. We'll get back to more of my bad reviews in a minute. You guys are enjoying this a little bit too much. But first, a word from my new sponsor, Honey. Now, we all like to shop online. And we've all seen those promo code fields that taunt us at checkout. But thanks to Honey, manually searching for coupon codes is now a thing of the past. And here's how it works. Honey is a free browser extension, and it scours the Internet for promo codes and applies the best ones, and it fits into your cart. So what happens is you start saving money. You start seeing your bill going down. I mean, imagine you're shopping online at one of your favorite sites, and when the checkout comes, the Honey button drops down, and all you have to do is click Apply Coupons. You wait a couple of seconds, it does its thing, and if it finds a working coupon, you will save on the uh, the price that you have to pay for those items. I used it. I was buying wedding gifts, and I saved $17. And again, it's free. It is free. So if you don't already have honey, well, you could be straight up missing out on free savings. It's literally free, and it installs in just a few seconds. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and supporting this particular podcast. And come on, I need it. You heard those reviews. So get honey for free at joinhoney.com slash levine. L-E-V-I-N-E. Once again, that's joinhoney.com slash Levine. Hollywood and Levine. How many times have I talked about Big Wave Daves? This was a television series that my partner David Isaacs and I created for CBS in 1993. And the basic premise was three guys who were going through a midlife crisis decide to chuck it all and open a surf shop in Hawaii. And one of them is married. So essentially what we're doing is Wendy and the Lost Boys. And we pitched this to CBS, and it was one of our fastest sales. They just loved it. We went off, wrote the script... And again, this is almost 20 years ago, so this type of thing wouldn't happen. At the time, we did not have any kind of deal with any studio. We were really just on our own. And the idea was, if the network picked it up, then we would take it to a studio and partner up with somebody. But, you know, the ball would be in our hands to make a good deal because we're walking into Paramount or Warner Brothers or whoever with uh, a greenlit pilot in our hands. So that was really a feather in our cap. Today they don't do that. Today you got to be associated primarily with that network for them to go along and buy your show. So we we did the pilot, 
And I've never had anything like this in my life. We timed the pilot at the dress rehearsal, and we were right on time, which was good. Because you figure you bring in an audience, and you're going to get a certain laugh spread. And hopefully, you'll get a laugh spread of between two to four minutes. And so then you can go back and trim things, cut things out, tighten things, and it gives you, you know, a little room to work with. Jokes that didn't work, you just cut out, that sort of thing. Okay, the Big Wave Dave's pilot came back with a 10-minute laugh spread. 10 minutes. It was absolutely unheard of. I mean, it was the buzz around town during pilot season. Uh, oh, my God, did you hear that, that this, this pilot at Paramount got a 10-minute laugh spread? We couldn't cut it down. We actually could not cut it down to, to time. And we turned it in. We said, okay, we're going to turn it in seven minutes long and see what happens. And we got a call from the president of CBS, Jeff Sagansky, saying, I want you guys in my office at 3 o'clock. And we thought, "Uh uh-oh, we're being sent to the principal's office here. And we called our agent and said, I think we're in trouble. And he goes, no, that's a good thing because they're about to go to New York to make their decisions. And if they didn't like your pilot, they wouldn't waste their time with you. So go and hear what they have to say. Uh, They probably do like your project. So we dutifully went over to CBS, and he said, we love this, but Jesus Christ, it's too long. So we thought, well, why don't we all just screen it now, and we'll talk about places where you can make trims. And we went, great, okay. So we sat down, and we started watching this thing, and we would go, you know, you could lose this bit here with Adam Arkin doing this and that. And Sagansky would go, no, no, I like that. I, that's funny. And we'd go, well, okay, here's the thing with David Morse. We could, no, 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 that, that, I love that. That's great. That's great. Well, to make a long story short, we got to the end and we cut maybe another 30 seconds out of it. And he said, I, screw it, just send it in this way. We couldn't edit much more because of the blocking because otherwise characters would bounce around. So we said, if you pick up the show, we'll make some edits and we'll reblock and reshoot the scene, which is what we did for the pilot. But the point is that it was extremely well-received. And we also got a number of really good reviews. But the major TV reviewer at the time was this disgruntled gentleman named Tom Shales who wrote for the Washington Post and uh, eventually got fired and I don't know what he's doing today and I really don't care. But this was Tom Shales' review dated August 9th, 1993, Big Wave Daves. We can think of Big Wave Daves as not only a bad TV show, but a harbinger of great disappointments to come. In that one wan way, it's the wave of the future. 
CBS is airing six episodes of the Slack sitcom in Love and War's time slot starting tonight at 9.30 on Channel 9. Think of it as a grimly accurate fall preview. The malaise that sinks big wave Dave's is much in evidence in many of the new sitcoms that will be following it onto the air in just a few weeks. It's tired, mechanical, and formulaic. It's a reconditioned robot that runs around in circles and bumps into walls. If you saw the movie City Slickers, the premise will seem familiar. Three men living in Chicago decide to chuck it all and run away, opening a surf shop on the north shore of Oahu. In City Slickers, three guys decide to chuck it all, at least for a few weeks, and head off for a cattle ranch. A surf shop isn't quite the same as a cattle ranch, true, but CBS programmers never sleep, at least not through hit movies. In September, CBS premieres Hearts of the West, a sitcom about a 41-year-old man who uproots his family, chucks it all, and relocates to a ranch in Nevada. And on NBC, Valerie Bertinelli plays a perky cutie who chucks it all and moves to Paris in Café Americaine. Perhaps this is to be the season of chucking it all. Meanwhile, back at Dave's, things get off to a sorry start. Hanging out at a bar during a Chicago blizzard, two of the friends laughingly make bets about how many people will die as a result of the terrible storm. The joke is especially unfunny in the wake of the tragic floods that have besieged the Midwest in recent weeks. Somebody at CBS should have had the brains to cut the joke out, though that is asking a lot. This is the lowest point of my life, mopes Adam Arkin as Marshall, a young lawyer. Arkin is presumably speaking in character and not as an excellent actor stuck in a dumb sitcom. A personable and slyly implosive presence, Arkin has to try too hard here to keep himself interested. His fans can take solace in the fact that Dave's is unlikely to live beyond the six trial episodes, so Arkin will be free to return to his recurring role in Northern Exposure. Marshall's two tag-along pals are a stockbroker named Dave, David Morse, formerly of St. Elsewhere, and a typing teacher named Richie, Patrick Breen, of the short-lived Sunday Dinner. When they get to Hawaii in the second half of the premiere, they meet super creepy Kurtwood Smith, who usually plays hitman or homicidal maniacs, but here is supposed to be a macho ex-marine. He calls himself Jack Lord after the star of Hawaii Five-O. Ha 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 ha. There is one character on board who knows what's what and who's who and is played by someone possessing appropriate brisk authority. Jane Kaczmarek as Marshall's wife, Karen, also a lawyer and obviously the much smarter of the two. Indeed, she's smarter than anyone else in the show. Kaczmarek has done a series before and she'll do one again. And one day we can hope she'll find herself in a vehicle worthier than Big Wave Dave's. (laughs) Okay, he's, by the way, was a national 
uh, columnists. So that review was seen in most papers around the country. How did Big Wave Dave's do? How was it received? We got really excellent ratings. We kept 100% of Murphy Brown's numbers, and we were like almost a shoe-in to be renewed, and we were not because Jeff Sagansky didn't think that Adam Arkin was a star in a sitcom, and he had shows coming up in the fall that he felt were all going to be big hits, and he didn't need our show. He had a show starring Shelley Long. He had a show starring Faye Dunaway. He had a show starring Bronson Pinchot. Okay, and so Big Wave Dave's was canceled, but not due to lack of ratings. We'll have more in a moment, but first I want to talk to all those of you who have credit card debts. In other words, I want to talk to all of you. Well, there's a company called Upstart that can help you face that debt and finally pay it off. Now, let's say you have multiple credit cards. Uh, You know the tracking, the multiple balances, due dates, and website logins can be very, very stressful. And Upstart makes things a whole lot easier with one monthly payment in one place. What is Upstart exactly? Well, it is the fast and easy way to get a personal loan to pay off your debt all online. So whether you're paying off your credit cards, consolidating high-interest debt, or funding personal expenses, over half a million people have used Upstart to get a simple, fixed monthly payment. See, Upstart finds smarter rates with trusted partners because they assess more than just your credit score. Okay, loans up to $150,000. So if debt has taken over your life, you know, it's time to get a fresh start with Upstart. How do you go about it? Here's what you do. You can find out about Upstart and how it can lower your monthly payments when you go to upstart.com slash Hollywood. Once again, that's upstart.com slash Hollywood. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know that I sent you, okay? Loans amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other informations provided in your loan application. Go to upstart.com slash Hollywood and get rid of that debt today. Finally, I want to turn to movies now and our feature volunteers starring... Tom Hanks, and John Candy. What I'm going to do here is read the Variety Review, and then I am going to read the first part of the review from the New York Times. And I'm doing I'm not going to read the whole New York Times review because the point of this is not to toot my own horn, but just to give you a contrast and a, a sense of how subjective these various reviews are. Okay. Volunteers, by the way, made money and is still seen quite frequently on HBO. It's on HBO Max if you want to see it right now. And, uh, and a lot of stations will play it during sweeps because it 
does really well in the ratings. But this is what uh, Variety said. And uh, there's no byline. It's just the Variety staff. So I'm guessing like 16 of them all got together and hated it. Here's what they said. Volunteers is a very broad and mostly flat comedy from a story by Keith Critchlow about hijinks in the Peace Corps circa 1962. Top-lined Tom Hanks gets in a few good zingers as an upper-class snob doing time in Thailand, but promising premise and opening shortly descended into unduly protracted tedium. Hanks plays Lawrence Bourne III, an arrogant, snide, rich boy from Yale who trades places with an earnest Peace Corps designate when his gambling debts land him in danger at home. Once ensconced in a remote village, a contentious couple, Hanks and cohort Rita Wilson and ultra-do-gooder John Candy, set out to build a bridge across a river. Kidnapped and brainwashed by the commies, the gung-ho Candy disappears for a long stretch. With Candy absent most of the time, Hanks' one note, if sometimes clever, attitudinalizing wears thin, it's welcome after a short while. He also is deprived of anyone effective to play off. Lensden, Mexico, picture features a muddy, truly ugly look. Also present is the most offensively blatant plug for Coca-Cola yet seen in the new era of Coke-owned entertainment companies. I think I talked about the uh, Coca-Cola situation before. Um, We wrote the first draft of this script in 1980, and there was a scene where the Rita Wilson character, who is the Peace Corps volunteer, uh, gets a Coke, and she is almost orgasmic because she really missed it. This is something we got out of research from Peace Corps volunteers who talked about how great it was to get a, a Coke after months of deprivation. Okay, this was long before Coca-Cola owned the studio. Well, we got hammered for that. Okay, so you, you, you heard that review. And now Walter Goodman from the New York Times, no less. This came out August 16, 1985. He says, take a healthy helping of Raiders of the Lost Ark, a dollop of The Bridge on the River Kwai, a dash of any Tarzan movie, a soup con of Casablanca, a whiff of The Wizard of Oz, and a stunt or two from a favorite Saturday cereal, stir frenetically, and if you're lucky enough to have snappy dialogue by Ken Levine and David Isaacs, you may end up with as funny a movie as Volunteers. Okay. Who do you believe? So, again, the point of this is to show that everybody gets bad reviews. I mean, you put yourself out there every time you do a play or a movie or a TV show or just about anything. I mean, it's the risk you take. You lead with your chin. And sometimes it works and you're hailed a genius and they give you awards 
and other times you take your lumps. I think there is a book that is a, a compilation of bad reviews of movies that went on to be classics, okay? It happens, and uh, I just wanted to illustrate that to you in the most graphic sense. I think our takeaway here is that I'm the worst writer in Hollywood. (laughs) Uh, Yes. Well, that'll do it for this week. Uh, I got more reviews, but we'll do those later. Um, my thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, to Howard Hoffman, John Wolfert, and Bruce and Jason Miller. If uh, you would like to weigh in, I have an email address. You can contact me at hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. I'm also on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine, and I am on Twitter at Ken Levine. Please subscribe if you haven't. I could also use a five-star review. Who couldn't? And, um, you know, hopefully I'll I'll turn in better work next week. (laughs) We'll see. Uh, Anyway, thanks so much for listening. Have a good week. Stay safe. Hollywood and Levine.